This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 113th edition of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio. My special guest is former University of Washington football legend, a member of the University of Washington Athletic Hall of Fame, uh, Jimmy Rogers. I believe you were inducted in 2016, right, Jimmy? That is correct. And thanks for having me on your show, Paul. Absolutely, Jimmy. I'm going to get back to you in a minute. My podcast, Sports Untold, is now also on Spotify, on YouTube, Amazon, Google, iTunes, Podbeam, and you can go to sportsuntoldpodcast.com. I don't believe we're going to be on Facebook Live today, but we will get this uh, YouTubed and get it up, and there'll be a recording of this as well. Uh, back to you, Jimmy. Jimmy Rogers is an Oregon native. As I mentioned, he's a University of Washington Husky football legend, a member of the coveted University of Washington Athletic Hall of Fame. Uh, Jimmy worked in the financial world for many years, and he lived abroad in several different countries. Uh, Jimmy was very involved in launching the Don James, the Coach James statute right outside of Huston Stadium. And I have a little funny story I want to tell you about that at some point in the podcast, Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy is now host the Downtown Dogs show. Um, I don't know if it's a podcast. It's more of a YouTube show, but it's a terrific one. And I recommend Jimmy's show. And Jimmy uh, has chats with many Husky legends, including uh, the academic advisor, or retired academic advisor, Gertrude Peoples. Jimmy does a really good job capturing uh, the thoughts of, of many people in the, the Husky Athletic Nation community. Uh, Jimmy was part of the great Purple Rain defensive team in the 1980s, a team that won the Orange Bowl. We're, we're going to definitely talk about that. Well, Jimmy, thank you for coming on uh, Sports Untold, also on Rainer Avenue Radio. Certainly, Paul. And, and congratulations on your interview with uh, Steve Pallor the other day. I watched that, and uh, you had to slug your way through it because he's really boring. I mean, a lot of material there, but just a boring guy. Like, you know, can, I'm going to politely take issue with you. I find Steve to be a real cerebral, interesting kind, reflective guy. I actually thought he had a lot of interesting things to say. So I'm going to challenge you on that, Mr. Rogers. I love Steve very much. And I'm just having fun. I, I get it. I get it. I had to, I had to, had to, I had to have a quick snarky response though, Jimmy. So. <laughs> yeah. um, Jimmy, you know, you played college football at UW, you had a prominent career at the University of Washington, and you worked for many years in the financial world. As I mentioned, you worked in several different countries. Was this the anticipated path you had growing up, Jimmy, that you would play college football and then work in the financial world for many decades? Absolutely not. Um, out of Ashland, Oregon, small town, uh, predominantly played soccer and baseball. And uh, at some point, I think uh, ninth, seventh grade, we started playing tackle football where you had to put the pads on and, and figure out where the pads go in the pants and such. And it wasn't fun. It hurt. And then I realized um, if you hit the other guy more than he hit you, it didn't hurt as much. So football was uh, probably my third sport. So soccer was my number one sport. Uh, played for the USA select team, goalkeeper. And so as a 13, 14, 15 year old, I toured uh, Europe as the goalkeeper and then uh, uh, Mexico and got the hell beat out of us just about every place we went, by the way. But I kind of got the travel bug at that point in my life, I believe. Um, Interesting. So football was kind of your third sport and you ended up becoming a, a college Hall of Fame football player. That's interesting. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Uh, I want to talk to you more about your soccer career, Jimmy, in a few minutes, but I, I want to talk to you now about that that Washington Orange Bowl team and and I'm a little younger than you I remember that game real well as a, I think I was about a 14 year old kid then it was an incredible game and, and Washington finished number two in the country officially uh after that 85 Orange Bowl 
uh, game. And I never forget the Sooner Schooner with that famous penalty. And, and you, you were part of that game and that team. Jimmy, there was talk about Washington playing BYU in the Holiday Bowl. And had you guys played BYU in the Holiday Bowl and won that game, you guys probably would have been the undisputed national champions. As amazing as that Orange Bowl experience was, Jimmy, is there a side of you that kind of wishes you guys played BYU in the Holiday Bowl? Um, for starters, I checked with Mike Lude on that fact uh, recently, and he said that that was not on the table. That was nothing more than a rumor that we we're going to play BYU. But if, in fact, we did play BYU, I think our JV team could have beat them that year. So BYU yeah. didn't play anybody in the top 25 that year. And I think they went undefeated for two years in a row. And then Carol James finally spilled the beans that the final vote, it was a tie going into, I don't know, 2 a.m. in the morning. We were back in Miami, obviously. And the, the tiebreaker came down to the Washington State coach, Jim Walden. And he had allegiance. That was his quote towards uh, Laval. What was the name, name of the coach for BYU? Lavelle? I know you're talking about, I forgot his yeah. last name. Yeah. He had an allegiance towards the BYU coach and the final vote went to BYU. I never knew that. Cause yeah. I, when I was doing a little pre-show research the other day, the way it was written on the internet, it was making it, it was made out as a fact that Washington was offered the holiday bowl opportunity against BYU. You're telling me Mike Lude knows more than I do. So that was not the case. And yeah. I did not know the story that the Washington state coach, um, was like the deciding vote and why BYU was number one that year and not Washington. Carol James finally spilled the beans about, about the vote, but hats off to Mike Lude because he had the, the hindsight to, he had the orange ball uh, representatives at the Apple cup when we played up in Pullman, that final game. So those guys were on the field in their orange bowl blazers. And uh, he, he convinced them how lovely it was in December up there and what nice weather they would have. And they came to the game and uh, it was funny because they were most impressed with their offense. And they said, boy, this Washington team has a great offense. And so they chose us to be in the Orange Bowl. And as you know, it was predominantly a defensive team, except for the Michigan game and the Washington State game and the Orange Bowl game. Let me go back to the original question, though. Let's just say hypothetically Washington had a chance to play BYU in the Holiday Bowl that year. You're still glad you played in the Orange Bowl. Crushed them. We would have crushed them. To and I know you didn't ask me that question, but I could. I couldn't wait to tell you that we would have crushed uh, BYU. Um, you know, as a player, you just do the best you can. You know, we can go back and look at the the polls were different back then. They had the BTN. We we had the same votes that the I think of the 1960 team that was uh, we acclaimed a national championship team for the University of Washington. We had the same number one votes that they did. So there's like five different polls. But we got number two, and I've got no problem with that. I mean, I can't tell you, Paul, how many people will say, now, which game did you play in? And once you say Orange Bowl, they know, Sooner Schooner. It's the first thing they say. Then they go to uh, uh, Bosworth, and then they go to Barry Switzer. And, and, and if it's a Rose Bowl, they go, which Rose Bowl game? And they get a little, you know, because there are three or four, you know, they get a little confused on which Rose Bowl game. But I'll be the first one to say I'm proud to be number two. Yeah, and, I, and you like you said, I think you guys sort of beat me. We would have beat BYU that year. I mean, BYU was like a beat a six and five Michigan team by like one touchdown in the Holiday Bowl that year. I mean, we ruined Michigan season that year. We played them our second or third game at Michigan with Harbaugh at quarterback. And, and Jim and I had a talk a couple months ago. He was going to come on the show, but um, 
we beat uh, the, the score against Michigan did not uh, resemble the, the game itself. We beat them hands down at Michigan. And from that point on, they went downhill. So they had just come off a victory. They just beat number one Miami with Bernie Kosar. And I think they were rated number two or something in the nation. And we beat the heck out of them from the, we jumped them from the get go, like we did most teams. That's an interesting story about the Washington connection to Michigan that year as well. This is Paul Schneiderman, host of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio. Um, I, I encourage my people to like my podcast and subscribe and, and offer, co- offer uh, comments. I'm with Jimmy Rogers, host of the great Downtown Dogs uh, show slash podcast. Hey, Jimmy, back to you for a minute in, in the Orange Bowl game. Did you actually play with a broken arm in that Orange Bowl game? I played with a broken arm my entire senior year. I had three three separate breaks throughout the final two years. And, you know, my whole life was sports, whether it was soccer, baseball, football. Um, every day when, when you're in Ashland, Oregon, um, you know, you lived to play sports. So every day of my life, I was playing a sport. And then all of a sudden you get to the University of Washington, and you've got a hairline fracture that turns into a really nasty break. And then you realize you're like, oh my God, I've got 12 games and I've got a broken, and it's over if you don't play. So we casted it up. I played with the broken arm. We put up, we put up, up um, six pins in there with a bar, with a plate. It broke again the first time I practiced after putting the, the plate and screws in there. And um, the irony of the Orange Bowl was I had this heavy cast on uh, if you can see me, you know, that came right up to here on my thumb. Right. And we taped it on. The referees checked it before every game. And, and I did use it as a weapon as much as possible. Um, let's just get that out in the open. Yeah. Uh, there was a play where Danny Bradley uh, tried to leap over me to get into the end zone. And he caught my thumb on his cleat. And my thumb went against the cast. I broke my thumb in the Orange Bowl. So wow. I was with a broken arm and then a broken thumb, you know, I think it was in the second quarter. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, and that, that's something to speak to, uh, Paul, because, you know, you look at a guy like Dave Hoffman, I believe his junior year, he was defensive player of the year in the Pac-10. Uh, I think it was the Pac-10 at that point. And, and for a guy like that, not to be all pro in the NFL, for somebody to be a defensive player of the year in the Pac-10, that's an automatic NFL career, but he was so beat up by the time his senior year came off. So the guys on crutches Monday through Friday and playing Saturday. And I can't tell you, there are so many Huskies that you're not aware of, including myself that were on crutches Monday through Friday. For me, it was the USC game, no practice, tape it up, play against USC down there. It was the apple cup. Uh, you know, you get a scope surgery and do the same thing in the orange bowl. So the NFL career was out the window. And I can tell you this, after seeing, being on the field, whether it was with the Seahawks or, or the Chargers, whoever, um, absolutely. Uh, if, you can, if you can start for the Huskies, if you can start in the Pac-10, you can, you can play in the NFL. Jimmy, you brought up a lot there, and, and I was going to ask you about, about your NFL career prospects, but a lot of what limits you getting in the NFL were these injuries, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, because you had a great a great college career. And, you know, I want to share this with you, Jimmy, and, and I'm going to add to this list. One thing that I'm finding inspirational about my podcast are people who've overcome different challenges. And your broken arm and broken thumb is another amazing challenge 
that you overcame. For example, I had the, the famous pitcher on Jim Abbott who pitched with one, one hand. I had Bill North, the famous baseball player who played with like with blind in one eye, legally blind, like in one eye. So I'm going to add you the list of people who overcame some major obstacles. Um, I mean, gosh, that's, it's hard enough to be a, to be a defensive back, but playing with a broken thumb and a broken arm, arm it's incredible. So. Well, it, it, you know, to a, a true warrior, it brings out the best of a true warrior in the, in the face of adversity. It, it really does. And, and I don't know where it comes from. Uh, you either have it or you don't have it. And so when you're really faced with uh, adversity, something just clicks and you go into this mode um, that I cannot explain. And the real talent is uh, that you turn it on when you're on the field. But the we'll call it the Rogers zone, right? You know, we'll so. call it the Rogers zone, but I can tell yeah. you there's so many guys that, that have that. Um, and it's just unexplainable. And, and, and the real talent is to turn it off when you leave the field. Okay. So I believe, for example, um, downtown Seattle, part of the reason I did the downtown dogs was I was getting so fed up with the, the BS that was going on down here. Uh, whether it was the robberies or, or, or just the lack of respect for our city, because I really enjoyed seeing other teams come into town, whether the Yankees or the 49ers or the Toronto Blue Jays. And I, I can look right out my window and I can see them representing with wearing their colors. And suddenly they have to walk around uh, so-and-so's tent who's got a miniature barbecue going. So, you know, you get to that point and I was like so frustrated that switch came on and I said, let's do something positive. Let's do something positive. Let's have the downtown dogs and let's start sharing some stories about some great people, uh, my heroes. And, and I was gonna do six episodes, Jock Robinson, uh, uh, Kurt Marsh, uh, Mike Lude, Gertrude Peoples. Uh, and then all of a sudden I got Tom Flick, I got Warren Moon. I got our mayor, Bruce Harrell, came on the show, Chuck Armstrong. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And I've Great got, guess. there's 50 more waiting. And I'm Love not, it. currently I'm not doing the show right now. Um, but it was just time to do something very positive and to shine a positive light on Seattle. And what's happened recently since uh, Bruce became mayor, January 3rd, uh, it's had a tremendous turnaround downtown. I cannot tell you how much different it is to walk downtown right now, to go to the market. The riffraff, we still have a huge homelessness problem. We've got a lot of work to do. Uh, we need to get the, the, the drug addicted people. We need to get them treatment. We need to get homes for the homeless, but the jack offs that are selling drugs that are taking advantage of the situation, they're gone. They are absolutely gone. And Goldman Sachs, as a matter of fact, there's a new building, one of the most beautiful architectural buildings in the Northwest called the Residence Tower right next to the Rainier Tower, Goldman Sachs bought the top floor. So Goldman Sachs came out and basically said in Wall Street terms, Seattle is a strong buy. We've got the right mayor here and we've got, I mean, look around, Seattle. Have you been down to the, uh, the, the uh, waterfront lately? Yeah, oh yes, I used to work downtown for over 20 years. So oh. I, I, I live in Leschi now, but I still consider myself a downtown guy. And I'm gonna talk to you more about your podcast, Jimmy, okay. but I'd love how you're embracing downtown, the downtown neighborhood as part of your podcast. I think that adds the uniqueness of your podcast. So um, I love it how you're embracing downtown. And I think there's over 75,000 people who live downtown as a neighborhood too. Yeah, so, and, and, so. and as a matter of fact, we started the show right when the pandemic broke out. 
So to get somebody to drive downtown to come on the show, pandemic, mask up, I think we were wearing gloves at that point. Um, you know, these are true Seattle heroes, in my opinion, whether it's the Spady family, or like I said, Warren Moon or Tom Flick or you know, Anthony Allen. My gosh. You know. Great guests. Love to get a couple of those guys on my show for sure. Yeah, love it. Hey, Jimmy, I'm going to talk to you more about your podcast. So much stuff today. And I, I, if I hopefully have you back one day, we can have more subjects. I'm not going to take up your whole day because I could talk to you all day, but I would not do that to you. But um, do you think I'm going to put you on the spot with this question? Do you think that 85, 84, 85 Washington Orange Bowl team could have beaten the 90-91 Washington or 91-92 that Washington National Championship team. Do, do you think your team that team was as good or close to being as good as a national championship team? I think the real question is uh, how do the defenses compare? Because our offense uh, really struggled. They came through in some very key games. And, and Paul, I was never one to look at stats. I mean, when that game was over, that first or second or third game, all I focused on was the following week. The only time that we celebrated was at the end of the Orange Bowl. And point being, um, I saw a statistic when we were doing a photo shoot, uh, photo op at the Orange Bowl, and it compared, I think, Oklahoma's defense might have been number two, and we had the number one defense in the country. And I saw a statistic, and I haven't been able to find this since, minutes played. So our defense, the original Purple Rain, by the way, and I wish I would have coined it back then, but uh, our defense played twice as many minutes as the number two defense in the country. I didn't know that. Wow. So you think about that. That's two seasons in three months. Okay. Now, yes, our offense came through uh, big time against Michigan at the Apple Cup, thank God, and then the Orange Bowl, of course. But Oregon, one first down, at number one in the country, and we got one first down against Oregon. We got three first downs at Oregon State, who won one game in two years, I believe. So I think our defense arguably was better, but we'll never know because, you know, by the end of the season, we were hanging by a thread physically. Our defense was Ronnie Holmes had a knee. Me Amber had a knee. Uh, Joker Kowski blew out a knee. So we didn't really have much depth going into that game. And that brings up the next topic of playoffs. Anybody that wants to have four, and I heard you talk to Steve about it. You want to have a 14 playoff, an 18 playoff, a 16 that's great for us to watch, right? We don't want the season to be over, but I guarantee you the people that are, are deciding on playoffs never played a down of football. Right. right. There's no way in hell you should play more than 11 or 12 games. Right. Especially these are, these are teenagers, a lot of them are kids in their early exactly. 20s, you know, exactly. so I get that. So I get, get back that. to the boat and so be it. But of course, there's big money too, right? And I know sometimes as a sports fan, we'll throw out these hypotheticals about with the 1927 Yankees, how would they have done against the 98 Yankees? You know, so I'm, I'm having fun with that Washington Orange Bowl team question versus that Washington National Championship team question. But I'll tell you, you were on a heck of a team. And as a, as a fan, I think you guys were pretty close to being as good or even maybe even a little better than 91 National Championship team. I don't know. It's hard to measure it, but you, had a, you were on a heck of a team. So. It would have been fun to have some of those guys on our team. Right. That would right. Else. Ron Holmes, yourself, Hugh Mellon, Patterson, the list goes on. It was a great team. Paul Schaumann again, host the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue, already with University of Washington, great Jimmy Rogers. Um, I encourage people to, to like and comment and uh, uh, go to sportsuntoldpodcast.com. I encourage people to listen to Jimmy's and watch Jimmy's show, uh, Downtown Dogs. Um, 
Jimmy, you were very involved, and Steve Pelour mentioned this to me when he was on my show back in December, and getting that Don James incredible statue built and launched. I want you to share with me and the listeners and what galvanized you to play such a role in getting the Don James statute out. And I have a second question for you. There's two statutes outside of Husky Stave right now, Jim Owens, Coach Owens, and Coach Don James, two of our deceased famous coaches. Would you support putting up a third statue? And who should the third person be? Mike Lode. Great answer. Great answer. Hands down. And, and what galvanized you to get the, to be to be play such a role in getting a Don James statute going? Well, uh, I had just been uh, I just finished up with my hedge fund on Wall Street due to that 2008 housing debacle. I uh, went back to Oregon to walk my mother out, got a phone call from a, a dear teammate and said, you know, we should build a statue of Don James before he becomes obsolete. And a lot of the younger kids were saying, who's Don James? And I said, absolutely. So I moved into a teammate's house in Seattle, dialed, dialed for dollars every day, made the proposal to the University of Washington. And the key to the proposal, Paul, was we wanted the players to pay for it. And the reason we wanted the players to pay for it is because we didn't want it to be the uh, the Nordstrom Don James statue. And I love the Nordstrom family. Classic. Likewise, yeah. I think the world of them. We didn't want it to be the Ron Crockett. And I feel the same way about Ron. Um, but we didn't want it to be the Ron Crockett Don James. We just wanted it to be the Don James statue. So the best way to go about that was to pay for it ourselves. So proposed it to the University of Washington. Jen Cohn loved it, gave us the green light. And it was really a complicated um, fundraiser. It was only $150,000. And keep in mind with my hedge fund, the minimum was half a million. Wow. I wow. thought 150 grand, maybe one month. Right, right. I think it took about a year. And it was really interesting to, to see a lot of people had reasons not to put money in. And so we kept it with the players. I think we opened it up towards the end to, to finish it up, to get the rest of the money. But I think a lot of players felt like they left it on the field. You're asking us to give money to this big, very rich institution. Right. Um, maybe some players weren't fans of Don James. There were a lot of issues out there and it was extremely, uh, complicated and I didn't really, I, I think the best way to explain the whole thing, um, in, in church the other day, Father Madigan said, institutions are going to use you and, and don't take use you as a negative. It's a fact, institutions use people, they don't have a heartbeat, okay? And the key is to use the institution back. So I guarantee you, if you and I didn't go to the same institution, we wouldn't be sitting here having this nice conversation. Um, you might not be a the successful lawyer that you are today. Trying to be, trying to be. So the, 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 um, the connections that you make, the friends you make uh, from going to the University of Washington, you need to take advantage of that. No doubt, no doubt. So, so that's really, it was interesting, you know. It was an interesting, but, it, it, but then again, every time I see the statue, or I see people taking pictures of it before the game with it, I should say. It's, uh, it's, I have a very proud moment. Jimmy, it's a wonderful statue. And I salute the role that you and so many others played in getting that statute uh, developed. I love your answer that right away you said Mike Lude should be the 
subject of a third statue University of Washington. Great, great name. And I think that'd be an interesting idea. And I don't think there's too many athletic directors have statutes at their respective universities. It'd be really cool to have Lude honored. Now I got a little fun story to tell you, Jimmy. Okay. So it involves the Don James statute. So I went to the Husky spring game last year, May of 2021. And for fun, I took a picture of myself outside that same Don James statute, similar picture that you submitted to me for that I'm using for the show announcement. And I wrote a little Facebook post. You got a couple of laughs. I was trying to be light. I wrote, um, you think about that great Ben Stiller movie night at the museum. I wrote where, where, where statutes of famous people come to life and talk right now. Don James is saying, Paul, he will not be my quarterback this year. So. <laughs> well, Anyhow, he, he had that look. He did. He had he that did. look. And, and he had, it was interesting because uh, how, how tall was he, Paul? What would you say? Five? How tall was Well, you knew Don, I only met Don James a couple of times. You, you obviously knew him better than I did. So well, he's not very tall. Right. But he had all 160 guys scared to death. I've heard that. I've heard Everybody stories. Intimidated by until you were done playing. And then when you were done playing, it was like, Oh my God, he's like a friend, right? And uh, I'll never forget. I was like, I think it was in the mid '90s. I think Lambright was the head coach, um, and Dave Stransky and I were going to a golf tournament on behalf of Coach Lambright. And I don't know if you remember Dave Stransky from Cedro Willie. And Don James came walking out of the clubhouse, <clears throat> and as we passed each other. Um, Don said to Dave, uh, or, or yeah, Don said something to Dave about he called him a broken down receiver or something of that nature. Kind of made fun of him, right? And and Dave said, "Well, well, well you're just an old fart." <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And I thought I could never say that, and they both laughed. I guess yeah. going back and forth for, for quite some time. Don, Don James didn't strike me as like a joke around kind of guy, really. You know, no, so. not at all. And, and yeah. when he came to my high school and we, you know, he came into the PE room and uh, the coach called me and said, Don James is here to talk to you. It was, I had teeth that were all over the track. So I never smiled. I really focused on keeping my mouth shut. And Don wasn't for small talk. And it was kind of like this, Paul. This is how the conversation went. Nice a lot of silence. I nice greeting you, and that was it. But I knew I wanted a guy. I didn't need anybody to uh, inspire me to play. I wanted to play. I wanted a guy that was going to keep us organized. I wanted a guy that was going to keep everybody between the lines. And that was Don James. And he was going to get the best out of everybody. But um, so, and, and then if you, you know, I'm, I'm extrapolating a bit, but as far as what school to go to, Seattle versus Eugene or Pullman, or Corvallis, now maybe USC, maybe LA, right? Depends on what you're looking for. But Seattle again, can we come? You were looking for a, a, a Pac-12 or Pac-10, then urban environment. That's what you were looking the for. Pac-8, the Pac-10, the Pac-12. That was the place to play back then. They probably had more active NFL ball players. I'm sure they have quite a few to, today. Also, uh, we're obviously taking our lumps, which we can talk about later. But to play in the Pac-10, if you're a West Coast guy, if you're a kid from Ashland, Oregon, that meant everything in the world. Big deal. It'll be a big deal again, I think. Yeah. Jimmy, I want to ask you a, a Husky Hall of Fame question. You, you were had a wonderful honor of being inducted back in uh, 2016. I was at the 2012 induction. My good friend, tennis player Chet Corral, got it in 2012, and I was there um, at the watching Chet get honored. And um, I want to ask you, who's someone who's not in the Husky Athletic Hall of Fame you think should be in? 
And do you think Chris Peterson should be in based on his six years as the coach and his work now in the UW business department and so forth? Uh, so two questions for you. Who, who, who should be in that's not in? And what do you think Chris Peterson's prospects? Steve Fleur should have been put in some time ago. A little upset that he's not in. Um, offensive player of the year in the Pac-10. Did Steve eventually get in? No, he's in the ring of honor, I think. Okay. Uh, the third quarter okay. where they, they introduce you during the game. Oh, I didn't know Steve Puller was not in. Yeah. That surprises me. Not, I don't know Peterson that well, but um, I, I wouldn't vote him in personally. Not at this point. Okay. Okay. I, I don't know at any point. I mean, okay. What do you do? He got to fourth. He got number four. Six year run. Six years as a U.S. Senate term. Okay. <laughs> so. I don't All right, well, everyone's taught their opinion. You know. I, what does he do now for the UW? Well, I think he's involved in the business school. And I think he maybe he's like an at-large advisor in the athletic department. But he took the team to the Final Four, got a Rose Bowl appearance. I mean, yeah. six-year run. I know it wasn't like a, a, as long as Don James's run. But anyhow, we can, we can, uh, we can respectfully see it differently. Sure. Um, Absolutely. But I'm really surprised Steve Palour is not in. That really surprises me. Yeah, that's that's unexplainable. Yeah, I don't get and that. They, and they do want to they do want to keep it down to individuals. It's not cheap, I guess, to put people in the Hall of Fame. So versus teams, that's why it was such a big deal for our team to get in. Right. But right. Steve being an individual. Um, but uh, Steve Palour, he's one of the best Husky quarterbacks in history. Absolutely. Yeah, that that's a huge omission. I mean, you hear about. Great athletes not in their respective Hall of Fames. I mean, Pulour, not the UW Hall of Fame. I'm getting fired up on that, Jimmy. Yeah, so, you should. So, yeah, yeah. Such a classy team? guy, too. Hey, what Jimmy, you know, I read something interesting about you. So you've had a really interesting biography, really interesting life and career. And if I get you back one day, we can talk more about all your experiences. But I want you to share with the listeners, when you coach soccer in Cape Town, South Africa, it yeah. seemed like that was a pretty amazing experience for you. Yeah, it was a life changer for me. So I... I um. How I got to South Africa is a whole nother story, but uh, I was very depressed and, uh, and I was weighing about 290 some pounds. Wow. And um, just trying to figure things out. My business, uh, I don't think my business, yeah, my, I think my hedge fund was done and trying to figure out the next move because when you cut, you go from coming out of that tunnel and there's no bigger high, you can't, you know, there's no better high than that in the world. And then uh, I was introduced to Wall Street and the same gentleman that recruited me for the Huskies, Alan Stover, uh, he had departed a few years before I graduated, became a stockbroker, which is what we were called. It's the same test. They're investment advisors or whatever, wealth management. I don't know. And uh, he hired me at Dane Bosworth. And boy, that really turned me on. I loved Wall Street. I loved the 630 opening on the nose, you know, close at one o'clock. It was it was uh, pretty exciting for me. And I, I graduated all the way up from an investment advisor to a managerial position to having my own hedge fund when the internet came out and uh, just got my ass kicked in the 2008 market. So many people did. Yeah, many people did. But uh, yeah, but, but, yeah. Anyhow, <laughs> we'll talk about that sometime. Um, it's followed me a bit, you know, the, the, the fact that I lost money. Um, South Africa. So I'd be sitting on the Indian Ocean having a coffee and these same kids from Malawi would come up to me every day and, and try to sell me some knockoff Gucci glasses or, or a handmade chessboard, you know, that's this big, you know, and, you know, a table. And, and the second, and we got to know each other's names. Their names are very uh, Chikuzi, innocent, uh, more love. 
the names go on and on. All of them were named by their grandparents because their mothers had all passed away from AIDS for the most part, oh, and they didn't know their fathers at all. So it was that time in, in, our, in our culture where these, uh, these kids were coming from Malawi, thousands of miles away, to sell their goods to a, a richer part of Africa. Cape Town is a very uh, wealthy part of South right. Africa. Camps Bay, which is even more, a lot of BMWs. You know, It wasn't like I was in the bush. I wasn't in the safari. So uh, every day these kids would come up to me and I got a little irritated uh, the third or fourth day because it was the same item. And I just wanted to have my coffee and I'm trying to figure life out. And uh, they'd say, James, you know, do you want to, you know, buy this chessboard? And I finally looked over and I said, innocent, what the hell am I going to do with it? You know, can I take it on the plane? What do you want me to, you know, I just, and they said, well, well, James, why are you here? And I said, well, I just want to chill the F out. Okay. And I thought that would get rid of them. And they both looked at me. And they said, uh, James, do you mind if we chill the F out with you? And I thought, okay, <laughs> these guys, they're smart. They were very well read, um, even though they were homeless. Uh, they didn't have the technology. Therefore, they had books versus laptops and Kindles and, and iPhones and such. So I said to them, I was getting ready to take the, uh, I believe it was called the Blue Train, which was... Uh, similar to the Orient Express mm -hmm. in South Africa. And I, I really like trains and this was like a five-star train. And, and I had one more month left until I had to come back to the US to get my visa stamped. And um, I said, uh, and I know these kids love soccer and, and I've got a soccer background. And just to give you an idea, Paul, every onlet to a highway or an off-ramp where there's a little bit of grass, if there's grass, there's soccer being played in South Africa everywhere you go so i said I, bet. I said do you guys like do you guys like to play soccer and i was i was acting a little naive and, and i saw their eyes light up and say said absolutely and i said well i'll tell you what why don't um why don't we see how many kids can want to play soccer at uh, well, such and such a field tomorrow morning at uh, 8 30 and i had purchased a, a 10 speed while i was there so i was riding my bike everywhere and i was losing weight and i was getting my act together and I rode up to this field and Paul, there were about 16 kids. It was eight, it was 15 minutes before practice was, was supposed to start. There were like 15 kids in their boxers and barefoot conditioning. And I said, holy smokes, we got something here. So I started training these kids every day. Uh, I eventually bought them uh, uh, cleats and then they accepted me because of this. Wonderful. Uh, then we ended up getting uniforms and I got the names on the back, as you can see uh, the video that you probably took a look at. Um, and then we challenged the local rich um, club, rich white club. And we had a big game and uh, we scored the first goal. And you know, it's a 90 minute match. Right. There's like 88 minutes to go. And <laughs> the field was just warmed with homeless, the homeless people of Cape Town and Camps Bay. It was, and I'm like, get off the field. We got 88 minutes to go. And these guys were so happy. It was just a, a it was a life altering movement. And I went straight from that game. I had my taxi ready straight to the airport and that's it. 
what a what a great story it has a little hollywood aspect to it and and you know another part of your life jimmy that i think something else you've overcome is i know that wait if you don't mind well we raised like 200 south african rand yeah the kids had already spent it on you know sneakers or whatever right and i said how about because they didn't like these kids the the cape town and the camps bay people did not like the kids being there from malawi right i said how about we donate that money to the local church and they donated the 200 grand to the to the local church and the kids were accepted it's a great jimmy has a hollywood story to it it's an incredible story and something else i was mentioning jimmy another part of your life that you've overcome is I know that weight loss can be weight issues can be very hard and, you know, being 290 pounds and slimming way down, that must've been another challenge in your life. You overcame. Um, Cause I know people who've struggled with weight issues. Those are very difficult issues. Mm-hmm. So you get done playing and you get done working out every day of your life. Um, and then you go through, you take your hits, whether it's your father passing away, which it was in my situation your mother passing away, the hedge fund, um, you know, you, you, everybody takes their hits in life. And, and my theory is the sooner you take it, the better. It gives you more time to, to, to make up, to catch up. But to me, uh, self-medicating um, and, and, and lack of self-awareness equals self-imprisonment. So I thought I was all that, right? A husky guy, orange bolt cap. Right. And then um, look, saw myself in a reflection in a, in a window and I said, what the hell happened to me? And, um, and I, was, I was blessed with a, you know, a good nucleus to work with physically. And, um, and then we lost a teammate, Rod Jones. And He's a great guy. I met Rod several times, wonderful guy. I went to his service. Okay. And, um, you know, Rod and I had, had multiple conversations before he took his life, and uh, he couldn't get his hands around alcohol. It was so sad. So when when Rod uh, took his life, and I said, you know, there's a good chance we all have a little something CTE, for because we led with our heads all those years, and it was a right. violent, it was it was much more violent then than it is now. Um, there's a good chance something's going on up there. And if you want to throw it's if you want to throw alcohol in the mix, not good, right? It's like throwing gasoline on a fire. So I stopped yeah. self-medicating um, when it was probably the day of the uh, of Rod's uh, celebration, December seventeenth, like three years ago, I think. I went to that the reception or the service, the athletic department. Uh, it was very sad, and he was a nice man. And uh, thank you for sharing a little bit about your friend, the late Rod Jones. Sure. Uh, well, Jimmy, what you do with those those young people in, in Africa is just an amazing story. And I really it really uh, reflects uh, a lot of the good things about you. There's a great Yiddish word for a nice person, a mensch. What you did was a mensch like act, you know, helping those kids. So uh, that's a great story. Jimmy, I asked these I'm going to transition here for a minute. And I asked these two questions to um, pretty much all my guests since late 2019. I just love these two questions. I love the two answers I get. We can call it the Paul Schneiderman questions, but but whatever. Um, who's a living sports figure you'd love to chat with? It can be a, re- a retired sports figure, a, a general manager, an owner, a player, someone who's still with us, someone who survives. And who's a deceased sports figure in history you would have loved to have interviewed or had a conversation with? Well, we've, we've kind of touched base on both of them. So I got to talk to every one of them. 
So from Tom Fleck being number one to uh, um, to uh, Warren Moon to Sonny Sixkiller to Bruce Harrell to Kurt Marsh. I mean, Kurt Marsh is just a beautiful person. I I, I employ you to, to have him on your show sometime. Love to. I'm sure he'll come on it. Um, so I got to to talk to all these people is that that are alive. Uh, as far as anybody, the only one I haven't been able to talk to who was my childhood hero was Willie Mays, the Say Hey Kid. And it was all about, I mean, he was a great baseball player, but it was his attitude. I mean, our generation or the, the next generation, I don't think they understand what the Say Hey Kid means. The Say Hey Kid means I get to play baseball. You know, I get to play a sport for a living. Let's go. Let's have some fun. You know, we get to wake up and live today. Say Hey Willie Mays. That's my guy. I used to love. Love Pete. it. I used to love Pete Rose, but it was his style of play. I loved his hustle, Charlie Hustle, but he turned out to be a jerk. So I don't really care to meet Pete Rose, uh, but I loved his style of play. I mean, it came down to a few baseball games where you have to ask yourself, would you rather hit a home run or take the catcher out at home play? Now, it depends on the catcher. It depends on the score. But a lot of times I'd rather take the catcher out. And that's when I decided to play football versus baseball. So uh, those would be the two. Uh, Jack Tatum, I've always been intrigued by, but I don't know anything about him as a person. But I, I think he did pass Jack Tatum. He did pass, yeah. But yeah. his style of play was, you know, really compelling to me. Willie Mays' name has come up. And I'll tell you something, Jim, we have something common. He may be about the number one living sports figure I'd love to chat with would be Willie Mays. Sandy Koufax would be up there too, but Willie sure. Mays would be about number one for me and his name has come up. And I love the Jack Tatum answer. And I remember reading his book, They Call Me Assassin, yeah. the Jack Tatum book. So yeah. that was uh, our Bible as a defensive back. Yeah, that was our Bible. And one other one, Reggie Rogers. I would love to sit down with Reggie and Rod. And recently we lost Walt Hunt, Freddie Small, uh, um, Roger Tarver. We've lost a lot of teammates. Um, and you know what? When you don't see them for a long time, Paul, and they pass, it's uh, it's kind of surreal. Um but I had a good moment with Reggie before he passed. They were honoring, I was in Beverly Hills, cheesy, you know, 90210, whatever. Um, and they were honoring Don Rogers at UCLA. And Reggie and I uh, got together and they just uh, were able to put the Orange Bowl video on a CD. Oh, fun. Oh, fun. <laughs> or DVD. So we sat there and I got a big screen and we had the best time watching the Orange Bowl game together. And so that's how I get to remember Reggie. But if, uh, if you ask, and one of the questions I asked all my guests is who was the funniest teammate? Reggie Rogers. Reggie Rogers. Yeah. yeah. We'll let him rest in peace and Fred Small. And thank you for sharing much of those guys. I love your Willie Mays answer. And, and Jack Tatum, it's the first time a guest has mentioned Jack Tatum as a sports figure they would have loved to have chatted with. So thank you for contributing to that uh that uh those questions uh paul schneider again a host of sports untold also on rainier Ivan radio with uw football legend jimmy rogers uh i encourage my listeners to subscribe and like and go to sportsuntoldpodcast.com and also i will continue to recommend that people uh take a look at jimmy's uh show uh the downtown dogs uh show on on youtube jimmy you got time for a few more questions all the time in the world paul great 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 um, what where'd you come out on on these University of Washington basketball players, uh, Terrell Brown and Dejan Davis, getting paid to 
do some interviews on KGR. What's your take on uh, these college athletes getting paid, paid now for like name, image, likeness type activities? I, mean, uh, I don't really have much to say to that. I think, you know, the market is what it is. I think when, when a coach loses and um, uh, one of my dear friends, Jimmy Moore Jr., when he had a losing season at UCLA, he got fired and he got, what, 11, 12 million to get fired. I think that's where the problem started. So as far as uh, players getting paid, absolutely. Coaches can leave anytime they want. They can right. be fired and make 12 million. So it's the market and it is, it is what it is. I don't know how it's gonna shake out. Um, I don't, <laughs> you know, I have no idea if it's gonna hurt the sport. I can't imagine it being good for the sport, but yet I haven't heard about too many players that have transferred that have made a huge difference unless maybe it's a quarterback or maybe a, a five-star wide receiver, but you know. That, that's an interesting point. Uh, the, a couple of points are up there. And, and, and your point about how well are these kids do when they transfer. Terrell Brown may be an exception to that. He's having a heck of a sure. year on the UW basketball team. I think that sure. transfer to UW worked out for him. But that's an interesting point that how well do these transfers really work for a lot of these kids? That's a. Well, you know, Detlef brought up a great point. I asked that question to Detlef and he said, well, the kids that left the UW basketball team, they couldn't start, they couldn't break the starting five and they all want to play in the NBA. Do you think if you can't start here, you're going to go somewhere else and try getting in the NBA, right? How many players are there? Exactly. If you can't start amongst that school and you want to transfer somewhere, it's really kind of a waste of time. Yeah. I, at the same, I'm kind of a pro freedom of movement guy in terms of, um, players because you know administrators can transfer coaches can take new jobs but that's another we can go deeper on that maybe some other time well, um you know go ahead in my living room and you say you know come play for me at the university of washington and you shake my parents hand and you break bread with my family and we go to the, we come to seattle and play for you and you're off to usc the next year because you got 10 million or 20 million that's not right the player should be able to, to transfer also right so, no I, I think your point's valid um you know, putting on a legal hat for a second, I thought that was an interesting Supreme Court case that came down last year where the court ruled that college is basically cannot limit educational benefits. They, they have discretion defining educational benefits, but they can't limit them. But here's a little, here was an, ex, I don't want to get your opinion on this, Jimmy. An explosive part of that case was Kavanaugh's concurring opinion. He thinks all financial restrictions on college athletes should be banned and violate antitrust law where Kavanaugh went in his concurring opinion. Let's watch for that. Anyhow, what's, what's your take on Kavanaugh's take? To I don't really have a take on it. I, I don't really, uh, I don't waste any time on it. I can't, uh, I don't mean to be disrespectful to your question, but uh, I can't make a difference there. Therefore, I don't really think much about it. Um, I understand if you do want to put on your legal hat, something I was hoping to accomplish and I failed was I wanted to get insurance for ballplayers over a certain age that weren't properly insured for the CTE. And we have a couple of guys out there that are just, it's extremely sad what's going on. I was also hoping with the downtown dogs to make sure that student athletes get proper representation, independent representation from lawyers like yourself. Because uh, for example, I signed a waiver 21 years old and I signed a waiver with a certain team and it was right before I was going to run the 40 yard dash and do the bench press test. And you know, you're pumped up to get out there and do your best. I don't know what I signed. No idea. 
So there's been some cases, and I'm not going to get into names and exact people, um, but those were the two things that I was hoping to make a difference with my show. And it kind of fell by the wayside because nobody wants to talk about it. Insur independent insurance for student athletes or kids up to a certain age, and then insurance for uh, ball players that have obvious football injuries. I know CTE can't be, uh, they can't be detected until the player is dead and you can get their brain. Um, but there should be insurance for these kids that have injuries from football that are not properly insured. So I couldn't agree more. And I want to tell you a concept that's come up on my show. I've talked to a couple of guests about, um, I support, I may even go even further than you, Jimmy. I support a workers compensation type system where injured athletes can be protected as if they're on the job. If somebody's on the job and as a steel worker, he or she is injured, they can receive lifelong workers compensation protections i think student athletes are injured should have a workers compensation type program anyhow absolutely there you yeah. go i'll talk about that all day right 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 um jimmy you it's just amazing what you're doing with your, with your show and you're interviewing all these husky legends i mean warren moon kurt marsh the list goes on and you know you and you're unique because you played with a lot of these people you you're a you're a husky hall of fame guy yourself you played husky football but what are some interesting things you've learned about some of these people that you did not know before that you've learned interviewing them on your show uh some of the people that you expect to just be a five-star interviewer like i'm sure you were expecting from me today oh, you've been great you've been great not turn out to be lead balloons so there were a few people, and I'm not going to mention names. I'm like, I couldn't wait, and I had so much in common, and I, and I, I knew so much about their background, and I couldn't believe they were coming on the show. And the show was over, and I looked at uh, my videographer and editor, uh, Jeffrey Lancaster, and we just said, what was that? And I thought it was me, right? I thought I did a horrible job interviewing, and he goes, no, it was a dead end. It was a dead end everywhere you went. And then there were people like but Chuck Armstrong, I felt like um, I felt like I was sitting with my dad, and I could have talked to him for hours. And we're friends now. We go and have a coffee and donut, you know, once a month. Great. Um, so there's that. Um, the one thing um, about Warren Moon really stood out was when this guy got out of the car. You knew he was all that. You knew he was an all pro. I mean, he just had the presence, the physicality. Everything about Warren Moon was everything you read. It was for real. When you shake his hand, you, you know you're shaking the hand of an all-pro. Now, Tom Flick, who I love and adore, and he's one of my heroes, he's slight, you know, buck 80, buck 70, whatever, 6'1". Um, and not that Warren's like 6'5", 280 or anything. It was just his presence. And then the other thing that you'll enjoy, Paul, was I think you can, you can tell a lot about a person by his wiffle ball swing. So we put <laughs> okay, ball okay. on the parking lot quite a bit and Warren Moon was just smooth, just smooth, just, you know. And then Bruce Harrell, our new mayor, he had the most violent wiffle ball swing I've ever seen. I know, I saw that. I saw Bruce had a good swing. I saw that, yeah. Impressive. yeah. That was impressive. I watched that. Uh, but you've been great today, Jimmy. I, I I like how you were blunt with me. Paul, with Kavanaugh's concurring opinion, sorry, it's not my thing, but you great insights, great. I got a kick out of your response to my uh, little Brett Kavanaugh uh, opinion, but great stuff today. Um, 
I want to share a Warren Moon story and a Mark Stewart story with you and the listeners right now that I haven't mentioned. Um, my late grandpa was a Husky football player and he lettered in 1928, Harry Schneiderman. So he's one of your deceased um, Husky football lettermen, my, my late grandpa. And my grandpa in, in the early 80s was in his late 70s and, you know, not young. And he was at the Elokai Hotel when the Pro Bowl was going on in, in Honolulu. You'll love this story, Jimmy. So my grandpa, an old school Husky, walks up to Warren Moon and Mark Stewart. And he said those guys were incredibly decent. They invited my grandpa up to their hotel room just to hang out and talk Husky football. So, so if I ever meet Warren Moon and Mark Stewart, I want to share that story with them. Here they are, these studly guys in like their late 20s, early 30s ever, and this older Husky who just walks up to say hello and they, they just could not have been more gracious to him. I mean, I, I just love how they invite my grandpa up to their room to hang out for a while. Yeah. So, uh, and that goes back to Willie Mays, you know, in, in my opinion. So if somebody ever asked me for an autograph, are you kidding? You want my autograph? <laughs> you just made my day, right? Every once in a while, I'll get somebody to send me a, a Husky card to sign and send back to them. I can't sign it and get it back to them fast enough. Um, love it, love it. Such an honor. And then you hear stories about uh, Mickey Mantle back in the day. People would approach him at a restaurant after the after a game, and say, "Hey, Mickey, do you mind if I get an autograph?" And uh, and he would say, "Well, why don't you come join us for a drink?" You know. And I saw I went to uh, a, a great haunt down in uh, Hollywood was uh, Dantana's, one of the greatest restaurant bars of all times, and uh, Magic Johnson would would frequent. And I saw some people go over to Magic's table and he, he said something to them. And, and then they, the, they came back and they, their table was closer to mine. And 15 minutes later, Magic came up and sat down with them for 30 minutes. And they were folks from Michigan. And I just listened to them talk. And it was just, and I think that, um, I don't know if it's missing out there, but I could tell you another story when I was in Chicago and the Yankees were in town. And some kid was, there's a bunch of people in the lobby with baseballs and felt, you know, pins and, and t-shirts to get autographed. And I was staying in the hotel that day. And I asked the kid, I said, whose autograph do you want? He said, no, Alex Rodriguez. And uh, or, no, it was Derek Jeter. He wanted Derek Jeter's. And I got in the elevator and I didn't realize, uh, I looked over and there was A-Rod. So I'm in the elevator with A-Rod and he was with Cameron Diaz, the actress, right? And um, and I thought, well, I'll just get, you know, whatever autograph I can for this kid. And I had a baseball and a pin. <clears throat> and I said, hey, A-Rod, you know, I'm a Seattle guy. I was, you know, I was a fan of his when he first started out with the Mariners. And I said, A-Rod, could you um, sign this for a kid downstairs? And he, and it was a pretty small elevator, Paul. And, you know, and I was 250-ish. I, yeah, I had a little bit of girth to me, you know, and I wasn't intimidated by him at any, by any means. But he kind of looked the other way. And instead of saying, no, I can't, or no, I won't. And then, so I kind of moved over and got in front of him. And I said, can you sign this baseball, you know, jackass? You know, that's what I'm thinking. And uh, Cameron Diaz looked at me like, gave me this, like, no, he can't sign baseballs. And I'm just like, what the hell? A-Rod wouldn't sign it for you? Wouldn't sign it for him. That's yeah. not nice. That's yeah. not nice. Not, not I, I was hurt. I was prepared to hear a good story about A-Rod. I'm disappointed. I'm I was sorry. Hoping. Now, if you want to hear the best part of the story was Cameron Diaz, because suddenly forget A-Rod, right? You're in the elevator with Cameron Diaz and she looked very beautiful. I bet. Pretty lady. Yeah. Yeah. Very pretty. yeah. No doubt. She doesn't hurt the eye at all. Um, 
But that means a lot when you think of Warren Moon and, the, and some of the people you met. You know, I met I met Roger Maris once when I was a kid in Sun Valley when I was like 14 years old, and he could not have been warmer and kinder when he signed autograph for me. Just that extra minute or two he spent. Well, son, what do you have to? You know, he was so sweet. You never forget that rest of your life. You know, when someone is just gives a little extra kindness. You know, absolutely, so, absolutely. So, well, Jimmy, I'm going to get two more questions in with you, and I would love to do this again with you another time um here's another schneiderman question i've been asking to guess the last several months uh if you had to pick one sports movie what's your favorite brian song great one no doubt gail sayers and brian piccolo oh i challenge you to watch that movie and don't tear up seen it it's amazing and i'm trying to get james Conn on my show by the way i don't know if i ever will but i'm trying to get him on my show yeah. so i'd love to hear him talk about his role in that movie and about rollerball okay he has a little sports side to him so yeah. billy, uh, or, billy, billy d williams billy d williams yeah he'd be great to have on too but that that great movie that's one of my favorites and that movie's come up yeah. with some i guess is, is among my favorites right a second one for me would be having to wait what's that jimmy Heaven Can Wait would probably be my second one. That's a good one. Dave Craig mentioned that as his favorite sports movie. Yeah, his favorite that, sports that, one yeah. Really, uh, that one really um, got me. because That's a good one. I remember watching back in the 70s, I watched uh, Dallas and I think the Raiders were in the Super Bowl. And these guys came out for the coin toss. And it was like one of the greatest moments of my life. And I thought, I'm going to be a captain in a Super Bowl. And I'm going to come out for a coin toss. Didn't quite make it, but got to the Orange Bowl. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Jimmy, I want to throw a plug for a movie and this is not a high profile movie, but it's come to my show. It took place at my alma mater, Roosevelt High School in Seattle. There's a great documentary about the Roosevelt women's basketball team called The Heart of the Game. Came out about 2006. Not a high profile sports movie, but a very well done movie. I'd highly recommend you watch it. The Heart of the Game. I think you'd enjoy it. So, um, Jimmy, you've lived in, I mean, you've lived all over the world and I get you back someday. We're going to talk more about you know, your international travels and so forth. You lived in Istanbul, I believe. You lived in South Africa. And you mentioned, I believe, in an interview or there was something that came up recently where you stated that Seattle is your favorite city in the world. Why is Seattle your favorite city in the world? Just look around. You've got the water. You've got the seafood. You've got the Seattle Art Museum right there, the bubblegum wall. And did I mention the water? I mean, it just it's just a gorgeous city. And now when they finish up this, this waterfront, which is completed from uh, Western and Alaskan way, it's completed all the way up to Seneca now, it's dynamite. People are gonna be coming from all over the world. And that's my backyard, by the way. Amazing. So it's, it's just beautiful. It's, it is definitely one of my favorite cities. And now we got the right mayor in place. And I cannot tell you how much things have cleaned up in one month. It's, I'm, I'm not kidding you. And maybe it's just the visibility of the police, um, but and I'm, I know we got issues still, and I know we got a lot of work to do. But the jerk offs are gone, the drug dealers are gone, and uh, hopefully they'll stay away. And maybe it's just my little sweet spot here in First and Seneca and Pike and Pine in between First and Third. But my bellwether uh, was Target, uh, the, the Target store, because that's the only place that has food, groceries downtown and electronics. And people were walking in and stealing less than $800. They knew they wouldn't be prosecuted. Now you walk in, you see a policeman on the third floor, you see a policeman on the second floor. And not only does that stop people, just the visibility of a policeman with a gun, but the security people that are hired get more confidence because they know they have a policeman. And then there's also what they call the downtown ambassadors that are hired by the local restaurants downtown. They get more confidence because they know they have some policemen around. 
So I'm saying bring more properly trained policemen to downtown Seattle. We've got the summer coming up. It's going to be a wonderful summer. Like I said, Goldman Sachs in Wall Street terms put a strong buy on Seattle. And that you bring up a lot there. And I'm totally rooting for Mayor Harold to do a good job. I think I'm feeling a little more optimism recently. And your point on Goldman Sachs coming, I mentioned that or being here, that having a major, major company come here um, is a sign that I think Seattle is still alive and there's a lot ahead here. We have, you know, stuff to work on, as you mentioned, but I, I think there's a lot there. Well, Jimmy, I really enjoyed you coming on the 113th edition of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Ave Radio. Great time, great to meet, and uh, you and I will definitely still be in touch. Sounds great, Paul. Congratulations on 113. Well, going to try to keep chugging away. So I, I, it's been fun, and I wish you the best of your podcast. We'll be in touch. All right. Thank you so much. You take care.